Hello, my name is Ben. And I'm Eric. And we are the hosts of the Too Vague Podcast this week. Our word is adaptation. It has multiple syllables, so I like it. True. Do you still have to do the thing where you clap to figure out the syllables? Because uh, I learned that in elementary school, and I might be almost thirty, and I still have to use. That. Seriously? Um, yeah. That's interesting. That's I mean, interesting. it's like it's like when you're doing your ABCs. Don't you have to like sing the whole song to figure out if like M becomes before N? No. Uh, see, I do. Okay. <laughs> well, you must have a lot of trouble if you ever get pulled over for drinking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, they say, say I couldn't have things. had a drink for a week, and they're they're taking me in. <laughs> say the alphabet backwards. That's it. <laughs> I, can't, I just can't, uh, where's your where's your car door? Let me get yeah, in now. <laughs> we got we got to haul you off to the pokey. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with a little housekeeping. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but what we do usually. If you have a question about the previous show, you let us know. We will answer your question on the show uh, under a couple of conditions. You've got to send the question in, but you also have to be my aunt in a uh, section we call questions from my aunt. I'm ready. Oh my uh, God. Is that the mailbag of questions? That's it's, the mailbag. It's ginormous. <laughs> that's a, that's the, that's you must mail. have thousands and upon thousands of listeners. Well, no, it's just Nora. She just likes to write. <laughs> ah, all right. Yeah, okay. she's a yeah. she's a she she has lots of questions. Mm, but they're all about video games, which is in my wheelhouse. Isn't yeah. it? From our last show, there was a question she had. What is an Easter egg? We talked about how there were little things in Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror um yeah. game. I call it a game, but it's Netflix sort of right, yeah. choose your own adventure type of game. Did you ever play that at all or no? I, I no, not specifically, but like I've had, I've heard from friends who have. Yeah, so I'm yeah. kind of like vaguely familiar with the concept. Yeah, and and in that, you know, there are references and other Black Mirror episodes to other other episodes, which that's what Cheyenne called an Easter egg, and Aunt Nora does not understand what that is can you explain to her what an easter egg is yeah i mean i've i've always thought of easter egg as sort of just like where the term comes from i guess is exactly it's perfectly applicable in the sense that it's like it's just something that you kind of maybe don't pick up the first time or the second time but you you know something that you a little little hint or a callback to a previous something in a if there's an IP or some sort of established uh, oh, she's definitely continuity. Not, she's definitely not going to know what IP is. IP, intellectual property. Gotcha. Um, right. So, you know, if you're talking about a series of movies or books or something, you know, you've got, you've got this continuity that people, they, you know, that the writers kind of assume that everyone's like vaguely familiar with. Right. right. And it's, you get this, you do this little callback or you just insert this little one line mm-hmm. or if it's in a TV show, you put like you know a little you insert a prop or something that maybe not everybody would realize on first viewing but you know those hardcore fans they're going to pick up on it right and know exactly what it means yeah the way i describe it is as an easter egg it's something you've got to put some effort into finding for yeah so it's it's a reference to something else or an homage to something else that is in a show that you wouldn't pick it up, like you said, on the first viewing, or, right. or maybe you would, but it's just basically a reference to something else. Yeah, and it's very rewarding too, right? Yeah, because it like is. when you're when you're a hardcore fan of something, it's sort of you go like, 
oh, I got that and right. no one else did. Right. Like, so I'm, I'm cool. Right. <laughs> that, and that is, that is the only thing that we care about. Oh, is, definitely. Is, is yeah. whether or not you are cool. Oh, nerd cred all the way. Trust yeah, me. You know what? I've, I've, I've had my share of nerd cred things <laughs> that I've just said just to be nerdy. Yeah. I just, I just hit gold card level of nerd <laughs> cred, you know, they sent it to me in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. Rank up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gold card. Yeah. <laughs> I got my platinum card for nerd credit. So, but then I watched a football game, and they said I went back down to uh, silver. Unfortunately, really? yeah. You know, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. I think there is such a thing as a sports nerd. Oh, that's I really me do then, for sure. Any kind of thing that you are so really knowledgeable about, I think that has a potential to be nerdy. It's not a dirty word anymore, nerd. Right. I think it's it's like it's something that's a lot more acceptable. To be so, I would definitely call certain people I know sports nerds. Sure. Yeah. Speaking of sports nerds, there's a new Netflix uh, television show that is about malice at the palace. Are you a basketball guy or no? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah, you... you're talking about the Ron Artest in, yeah. Yeah, in Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, that was an. That it, I would highly recommend that if you're interested in that kind of like how the mob mentality. In, it impacts sporting events and yeah. how it manifests itself and stuff. And, yeah. And some interesting eye-opening things about Meta World Peace and why he changed his name and stuff that you hear about how Ron Artest changed his name and a lot of people made fun of that. But in this show, he reveals the, the reason, his reasoning f- for doing that. And it makes sense, and it's more, you know, it's it's not something to make fun of. It's something right. that he was trying to improve himself. So it's, yeah. I'd say it's a really definitely worthwhile checking it out. So yeah, if definitely. you're a sports guy, check it out. I think at first, when, I mean, well, just quick tan- tangent on that. It's like whenever sport, I feel like sports stars, they change their name and they always get ridiculed at first. Right. I mean, but the classic example of Muhammad Ali, you know, I mean, he was well, yeah. born Cassius Clay and, right. and then changes his name and everyone thinks it's ridiculous, but now... Well, and you know, also, one of the most one of the most recognizable names of of the 20th century, yeah. and Kareem, nobody bats an eyelash. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of also, course, yeah. you know, Lou Alcindor. Lou Alcindor, right? Yeah. There are a lot of Muslim changing of names. I think Meta is a Buddhist mm. uh, kind of concept, and that's the reason. Just watch the show; I it's definitely might, really yeah, interesting. Definitely. Yeah, check it out. It's called Untold, is okay. is the name of the series, but the one is Malice at the Palace. Yeah. Enough of sports nerdery. <laughs> Let's get on to the the order of business, the topic at hand, which is adaptation. Adaptation. When you think of the word adaptation, is it in the context of the definition that is the taking something written and putting it into a visual medium? Right. Or is it the biological concept of adaptation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was why for, I mean, for a long time I've been telling you, I think that this word, it, it just really resonates with me because I think I, I kind of am thinking of both of them si- simultaneously. Right. I, I think if you just said the word to me, just, you know, in conversation, uh-huh. I suppose my brain probably goes to that that latter definition of, of sort of that process of changing to fit your environment, yeah, right? Adapting like, and- yeah, adapting. Yeah, and I... And I as cheesy as it might sound, I think that's sort of one of humanity's sort of great qualities, you know, and, and oh, okay. it, it maybe doesn't get talked about that much, right? Th- this was something when I was when I was kind of like reading about 
the word itself and trying to kind of look at, you know, definitions and alternate definitions and synonyms and things mm-hmm. like that. One of the things is I, I assumed that a synonym that I would find over and over would be evolution. Right. And I was kind of trying to find that because you guys have already tackled that word. Right. But nowhere could I find, and I would have thought going in, I would have thought that that would have been a word that I would have found everywhere kind of attached with adaptation. Right. Cause I think they're kind of like similar processes Nowhere on the web could I find a listed synonym of adaptation as evolution. Yeah. And so it kind of like opened up this this sort of wormhole for me, this like Pandora's box of like, well, why is that the case? And I kind mm-hmm. of like was breaking that down a little bit. And the the conclusion that it led me to was I think the reason why I resonate more with adaptation as opposed to evolution is evolution is sort of a more unconscious action. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that takes place over the timeline of evolution is at the minimum, what, thousands of years? Right, right. You know, or tens of thousands or even millions of years, right? Right. When I think of adaptation, I think that that is a part of the evolution, right? Right, it's a sub, right. It's a sub, it's it's not evolution, but it's a part of um, changing the way you behave or the way as a biological organism Definitely. needs to needs to, you know, try and survive by developing certain characteristics right. so it's a it's a part of evolution but yeah right. you're right but evolution. it's a very conscious act i think was what i kept coming back oh, to okay in that it's like what is what's the timeline of adaptation i think it's more in the in the realm of years or even months maybe right, right. but like right. it's something that happens very quickly and i think very deliberately mm-hmm. whereas opposed to like evolution is sort of out of your control in a sense right you know no i don't think anybody would claim that like biological evolution is a conscious decision by anybody it's it's more like survival of the fittest right in the darwin in the darwinian kind of sense of it it's like but that that's nothing that you are consciously deciding to control it's completely almost out of your control right you know and so i think that's why adaptation resonates a lot more with me because it's like this is something that I can fix myself or I can change myself to right. fit into my environment better than say like the, like my body developing evolutionary aspects that actually help me fit my environment. Like, no, I'm going to adapt to this by learning how to, you know, pick up a skill that's going to allow me to adapt to my environment. Right. Right. There's, there's a part that is a human quality where we, for reasons that are it makes things easier or right. makes things um, more efficient for us that we consciously make changes. But I think there are also, when you talk about biological adaptations, uh, there are things that come about that are certain changes. And maybe Darwinism is involved in this, but it's like, the reason why this particular thing was developed in this biological creature was to deal with this particular situation. So it's not really in their control. It's just something that is a change that occurs for a reason, but it also helps in the whole process of evolution because only the, the ones that are strong that have adapted to deal with this in a certain way. Right are the ones that are going to survive. Right, of course. Yeah. So there is that that definition. But I think I like, I agree with you as far as like when you're talking about human experience, adaptation in that way 
makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, one of the words that I found like sort of across the board is like a, a very common synonym was uh, acclimation or uh-huh. like acclimatization, and it made me think of uh, my dad. Is my dad and I both are like very fascinated by um, uh, climbers who you know tackle these mountains like Everest and K two and right um, and. Have you ever wanted to do that yourself? I mean, personally, I would love to, but it costs a small fortune, right? right. <laughs> and uh, and which I don't have. You um, don't have but, a you don't I have mean, a if, helicopter to transport you. Yeah, I mean, if I had years to like hone my uh, physical shape into like something that could go up to twenty nine thousand feet, and yeah. and you know had hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay for a sherpa to carry my gear up and everything, yeah, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Talking about sherpas is probably the best best example of sort of adaptation versus evolution, which is when you go, if you are a climber and you go to Everest, you spend, generally you spend close to two months there in that environment, right? And base camp is at 20,000 feet, you know? Mm -hmm. And and humans on the whole generally have not evolved to the point where that's something that they are capable of handling for like long stretches of time. Right. um, Which is why you have to acclimatize and you do, you know, you do multiple trial runs where you're getting your body used to it, but that's like adaptation, right? Because they're, they're spending time and they're doing an act, which is like forcing their body to, so it is a biological adaptation, but it's, but it's something that was a conscious effort to do so. And they're doing it. Whereas a Sherpa, you know, these, these guys who've grown up, you know, born and raised in Nepal, their bodies have sort of evolved to fit that environment better. Right. You know, right. so they, they, their bodies have just naturally evolved to the point where they can be at 18 or 20,000 feet. And it's not the same effect as it would have on you or you or I, you know, but they also have a knowledge and have shortcuts and Definitely, have, yeah. because I think a part of adaptation is also knowledge, right? Yes, absolutely. There's a physical component to it and there's absolutely. also a learning component. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the stat that I always find like crazy is, I mean, Everest is basically 29,000 feet and doctors say that if you just took somebody who wasn't acclimatized to that environment and you just dropped them, you'd pass out in two minutes, two yeah. or three minutes. Like yeah. you're you're on the floor hmm. and, it, and it kind of puts into perspective how people have to either, you know, to adapt to that environment, they have to put in so much work because they're carrying, you know, how many pounds of gear and right. also carrying their own bodies up that whole way. That's an adaptation that they're putting in work to force their body yeah. to make that change. There, there are also uh, lesser examples of that as far as like motion sickness sure. and, and, and seasickness and, and things like that. Right. Right. I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know my father, when he would go deep sea fishing, he was never adjusted to to that whole thing. It's like he always had to take Dramamine. Dramamine, yeah. When he would go on uh, roller coasters with us (laughs) when we were younger, he would have to take Dramamine. He didn't want to vomit all over the... The, the people below who... Yeah, the little 12-year-old who's on his vacation yeah. behind him. And Although, <laughs> let me just say, in all honesty, some of those kids probably deserved yeah, a little vomit maybe a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, he would always do that, and then he would take a nap. He would go out to the car and take a nap. Like and a then palate have, cleanser. Yeah, like he would have to take a little nap in between... And I'm getting to that point, man. If I ever, if I do something like that, <laughs> like go on a roller coaster, man, I probably would be taking a nap afterwards. Mm. But anyway... 
So uh, do you have any other things about adaptation that you think about other than mountains and K2 and climbing and challenges <laughs> and things like that? No, I mean, I, I think everything, the other side of that coin was what we were kind of talking about before, which is that alternate definition of, of sort of taking a, an IP, you know, a, a property that you have from one medium, medium and adapting it to another. Yeah. Right? And, and so I think everything... Everything else that sort of comes with that is is sort of what I'm, you know, that's the other half of what I'm thinking of when we right. talk about that word. I thought, strictly speaking, taking a written medium and transferring it to a visual medium, but maybe that's maybe yeah. that's wrong. I, I mean, mean I, 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 that's probably the origin would make sense because that was probably that was always like the the straight line from the beginning, right? right? Like well, you you always had the written medium and you would take it. But like obviously, as as entertainment has has grown and evolved, evolved, right. adapted. I don't know. Um, it's you can almost go backwards now, right? Like, well, we I, see, I would like, say entertainment is an evolution, right? Entertainment has changed dramatically over just the last fifty years. Oh yeah. If you would have talked to me back in the seventies when I was watching my uh, the the first television, the RCA television that we had that had the first remote control, which was basically a tuning fork it you press the button and it made a clanging sound and it was like little <laughs> tuning forks inside this little thing there were four buttons that you had there was channel up channel down mute and turn on turn off right but they were each a different tone okay you that's know? what the the tv would pick up right? right right that was the first remote control that i remember when my parents got divorced he took the 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 old television okay. right and what would happen is sometimes he would come home to his apartment and the TV would be on. For the first couple of times that happened, he didn't realize what was going on until one day he realized it was the jingling of the keys. Uh, So the people who were going into the other apartment, the keys would jingle, it would make the right tone, and it would turn on the television. Oh my gosh. Imagine like how unhandy that would be if that was like in other aspects of your life. Like... (laughs) Like your car got started or something. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> like, that's probably that's probably why they stopped doing those things yeah, with frequencies no like that. <laughs> they went with something a little more diverse. Yeah, right. In the frame of reference of utility, what would be the thing that you would want more? Like, what what sort of biological ap- adaptation would you think would be the most helpful for you in your day to day life? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I probably. As gross as it sounds, maybe like an extra arm. Okay. Like, it, I mean, is that does that is that the right path, or is that the kind of thing that you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, no, that would that would work. Like, I mean, something like that would just. Can you think about how much like utility something like that would have? I mean, it, obviously, it'd be disgusting. Well, yeah. like, where would it come from? Like, is you I, could I, say I you could say a pair. <laughs> you could say you know an extra pair of arms. Yeah, like I mean, I, I would say I would I would say that's an acceptable. Who's like answer. the guy in uh, is it Mortal Kombat who has like four arms? Like Goro. Oh, yeah, Goro. Yeah, I want to be yeah. like Goro. Just yeah. give me four arms, and like, because you know, then I could be making a drink at work while also like answering a phone call and like. Right, and then know. of course when you when you uh, finish someone, you can just lift them up and then rip their arms off. Or <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Or right. punch them while you're holding them up in the air. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, talk about utility. You mentioned the fact that you're a golfer. Yeah. What did you do with four arms when you're golfing? Oh, I mean, man, again, think about like, you could be taking a swig of water while you're also, you could be hydrating as you're losing the water uh-huh. as you're also playing. Right. Incredible. But I'm also thinking of power. 
Oh, like yeah. how much power you could get with the extra pair of yeah, arms too. Yeah, you could too. just put three hands on the club and just oh yeah, yeah. You just go to you town. To, yeah, that are also probably impact your slice and it might go so so far around that it hits it's you like in a, the back it's like of the a boomerang. head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? I don't think physics works that way. But well, next time we're on the golf course, we'll just test it where we just yeah. both hold the golf club at the same time and see what happens. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be there. <laughs> I'm I'm not a golfer. So when I think of that I think for me, I would want, I guess, to use more of my brain in such a way where I could actually multitask. People say mm. that, you know, like the, the, the brain is basically a single threaded sort of instrument, sure. right? It's you say that you're multitasking, but you're not. Your right. brain moves from one thing to another. There are certain things that we do, maybe that we learn to do subconsciously. Like we can do something while we're talking or right, something like right. that. But truly, we can't really focus on doing two tasks simultaneously. Sure. So I think that would be cool to be able to like actually have your brain work on two different tasks exactly, you know, like simultaneously. Yeah, Like yeah. a multi-threaded brain. Like you're like balancing your checkbook, but you're also like playing video games. Right. Like, or, and you're or, able to completely do both or right, something. Completely do both with, with 100% accuracy as opposed <laughs> right, to right. like putting too much effort in one and not enough effort into the other. Definitely. It makes me think of, uh, what do they call it? The... Um, where you know they say where it's like if you're at a party and you're talking with someone mm-hmm. but then somebody across the room mentions your name you weren't ever listening for it but you you know immediately that somebody said your name so it's like well were you listening the whole time for it or were you you know it's right like, right there, there's like there's a name for that sort of like effect right but uh yeah i mean it's kind of like that right where you're like you're not actively thinking of it but it's something that your brain kind of does subconsciously but it's exactly you know, kind of toeing that line a little bit right yeah and it's but it's not like actively yes, right exactly. it's not like you're actively listening so it's right. not like it's a task it's yeah. just something that <laughs> like, i can't listen into you i'm waiting for somebody to say my name right <laughs> yeah. right Adapting to situations, I think, is also something that you mentioned that indicates a growth, like a personal growth, right? Right, right. And I think that's inferred in in something like adapting, whereas evolving, it's not. Right. Right. So you're saying like tackling a social situation, like if you learned how to better approach something like that that's ad- that's definitely adaptation and I not- think well, yeah, I think I, I think that's a part of it that is. Yeah. I have a little bit of social anxiety when it comes to large groups. Mm. And what I discovered when I decided I was going to go to my first Penny Arcade Expo, uh, which was about three years ago, I developed a strategy that was meant to adapt to a situation that was uncomfortable to me. Mm -hmm. What I do is I get the map and I get all the exhibits and I get everything like right you know ahead of time yeah sure and then i come right i come up with a plan like a uh, like a circuitous sort of route that i'm going to take throughout the exhibit hall yeah and i focus on what i'm going to do and then everything else doesn't impact me as much i'm not paying attention to that as much i am focusing on enjoying each exhibit and not how uncomfortable all the people around me make me feel. Right. So so that is, I would say that's a way, it's a strategy I developed to navigate that, but it's also kind of an adaptation. Yeah, definitely, right, right. yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie Adaptation? 
No, I have Nickel. not. No? When I was doing a little bit of, of research and a little bit of prep for this, is, oh, yeah? it came up many, many times, and I never got around to watching. Yeah, I, I actually uh, watched the movie in preparation for this show. At the advisement of my brother. Because mm. uh, he actually said it was, he, he enjoyed it. Um, I don't know how I felt about it. And this is going to be, I, you know what? Spoiler alerts, you know my view on spoilers. Yeah. Um, well, but, I think this movie's also about 20 years old. So I think we're I think we're not oh God, spoiling it is. too Holy much. Holy crap, it's 19 it, years old. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, I think, yeah, it's almost old enough to drink. I mean, I think, oh I think if you're uh, getting mad at us for spoiling a movie that's almost old enough to drink, I think you've got bigger problems to worry about. Right, right. There's... The statute of limitations is over, let's yeah. say. There's this guy named Nate Bargatze, who's a stand-up comedian who does this bit about about the movie um, Sixth Sense. And his whole thing is he's he's comparing the Sixth Sense to marriage. Like how that, you know, the entire time this guy was dead. And we thought it was a big surprise. But right. we thought it made more sense that his wife was not talking to him for years than it did... To, that this guy was dead, right. right? So, you know, during the whole bit, he's like, oh, there's going to be some spoilers here, but, um, you know, I mean, it's a 20-year-old movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and don't say that you're going to see it tonight. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, you claim, like, well, now I can't see it. Like, <laughs> But anyway, the, the movie adaptation, it's kind of an interesting sort of premise. Basically, a writer who is adapting a book to a movie but the book is also about how orchids adapt and how people adapt. I never read the original book. So this is it's kind of this interesting sort of meta kind of concept where <laughs> the the book exists, okay. the author exists. Right, right. The book it's basically a study about this guy who got prosecuted with some Seminole Indian Indians going into a um into a reserve area and basically poaching orchids. Okay. Specifically this one called the ghost orchid which is like a very rare kind Ooh. of orchid. The book that the woman in the movie is writing. This sounds, it's, this sounds so weird, but well, it's a movie with Nick Cage, so I'm ready for anything. I, the the guy who's the writer is a real writer who's doing the adaptation. Okay. His name is Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, his movie that he did before that was Being John Malkovich. Have you seen Being John Malkovich? Yes, I have. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And some of the scenes of this movie take place during the filming of being John Malkovich. Cause he okay. is working on this adaptation right. of this book called the orchid thief during the movie. It's like towards the tail end of, you know, of making the movie. So the book is real. Susan Orlean is the author and the gentleman that she is profiling is John LaRoche is the name of the poacher. Okay. And this is this is in the story, right? This is these aren't real people or these No, those are real people. These are real people. Okay. Okay. So so the book is a real story right. about this guy named John LaRoche. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. It's a real author. Okay. And those people are played by other people in the movie. And and the the character Charles Kaufman, who is in the movie, has he has a fictitious brother 
named Donald that is like they're twins, okay. right? And it's sort of like you can think of it in a couple of ways that Donald is kind of a an aspect of Charlie Kaufman's personality that doesn't manifest itself. You know, like he split his two personalities into sure. two characters in doing this movie. Yeah, but he's. It's a movie about him struggling to write this adaptation of a book into a movie. And he's telling himself he's not going to do all these different things, all these devices. He's seeking out advice from people. His brother Donald comes up with this wacky doodle, crazy ass idea for a movie (laughs) that everyone friggin' loves. So he's like left going... I mean, I don't know. I can't do anything right. I'm a fraud. He's, <laughs> right. he's you know, doing all these things. He's very self-deprecating. But then the movie ends up like, it ends up like every other weird, weird-ass Hollywood movie. Yeah, right. So it's it's kind of, it's enjoyable to see. I would recommend to see it once. But I, I would also say it's not for everyone because it's just a little a little weird, just like John Malkovich was. Just so we're, being we're not Malkovich. assigning this as homework then for all of the for all uh, the thousands of listeners. I don't know, man. We're not I mean, gonna like make the sales of adaptation like spike up because no, no. Going to tell everyone. Nor, Nora might. Oh, Nora. Nora. Okay, yeah, yeah right. Because as we as we know from previous episodes, she is our only listener. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, you, you're you're also a listener. Yeah, yeah, You get 12, 12 listens a week, and 11 of them are Nora, and the other is me, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the way it is. Yeah. It's been described as a pastiche as opposed to, um, you know what a pastiche is? I, I've never heard that word in my life, you never actually. heard pastiche. There's a restaurant in town called Pastiche. Oh, okay. It's sort of an elaboration on... Uh, someone else's work. It's, okay. It's sort of, it's a celebration of a style of someone else's work okay yeah and not in a mocking tone not in being a sarcastic kind of homage exactly sort of right right just just kind of staying true to their whole the you know the writing style and all that definitely And, and that's the interesting about this there are two things that are staying true to this it's you know, we think Charlie Kaufman's writing style and how he acts and how he thinks about things. Right. Right. He's staying true to himself, but then he's also inspired and staying sort of true to the um, the author in the book, the Susan Orlean, who wrote The Orchid Thief. Okay. I didn't do any research on what she thought of the movie. Ah, it's got to be out there somewhere, right? It's got to be out there somewhere. <laughs> I don't really want to know because it's it's... I think that would spoil it for me. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, what if she like absolutely loves it? Or wait, is there one way or the other that would just spoil it for you? Like if she just thought it was awful, does that like change your thoughts of the? Of I don't the movie? know. I, uh, you know what? Also, in the context of the movie, I don't think it really matters mm. what she what she thought. And there's only one orchid variety that I remember, and that's Phalaenopsis, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> I I just thought it was orchid. That's all I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, they're different kinds. Yeah, yeah I mean, if this was like, if you had like, I love watching Jeopardy, but if like there was like an orchid category on Jeopardy, it's like the $200 question is like, Catlias, is it a flower? One. Like, yes. Okay, and I'm done. Like, right. That's, right. that's it. I'm good. <laughs> it's, is it a daisy? Is it an orchid? It's the same damn thing. It's a flower. <laughs> Catlia was another one I just came up with. I remember. But, but, um, yeah, Phalaenopsis is the more recognizable one that has like 
it's kind of got like five different petals and I'll show you a picture. If you're interested, you're probably not. If my mom's ever going to listen to this, my mom's going to be like, I I failed as a, as a mother. If my son doesn't know the varieties of orchids. Does she, does she do orchid growing? She used to do a lot of gardening. It was, Uh it was more like, uh, growing her own vegetables and things like that. Uh, but, uh, I don't think it was ever like flowers, but I feel like, I feel like this is going to be one of those things where like, if I haven't seen a classic movie, my mom's, my mom's like, how did I ever let that happen? And it's going to be like, it'll be like that with orchids. She'll be like, you didn't know these four varieties. Like, come on, what are you, what are you doing? You haven't seen, you haven't seen Heather's what the heck? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 16 candles. What did I do? I have seen that one. Yes. Yeah. Have you seen it recently? No, I don't uh, think so. Some of those movies from the eighties, you go and well, just yeah. like watch them now. Yeah, Airplane is the one that always comes to mind for me, which is like, I love that movie, but man, would that not get made today? Like, well, see, that's the thing with with Zucker Abrams and Zucker. If it wouldn't get made today, there were still ways to make it funny sure. without that. Yeah, um, I don't know. You're probably not familiar, but. Around the time when Airplane and Kentucky Fried Movie and all these things, there was a television show, which spawned a movie. That television show was Police Squad. Police Squad was a, you know, it was, it actually ended up being six different episodes, but it was starring um, Nielsen. um, Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. If you have a chance to look it up on you know, on whatever streaming. I mean, I think that you could find it's gotta it somewhere. It's got to be out there somewhere. Yeah, I, I have found different episodes. It had a lot of really cool comedic devices and things that were really funny in a, in a smart way that weren't obscene, that were just as funny. Yeah. It was just, you can totally tell that it was Zucker Abrams, Zucker's sense of humor without all the, without all the stuff. You okay. don't need yeah. that stuff. Right. So I think they would have adapted. mm to that hey. situation if they were around today. Sure. They would be able to make something very funny without having all those things. I don't know where we got out. What, what were we talking about? I think that was sort of our last point before moving into... Do you do you want to talk about something like adaptations as far as uh, things, writings to screenplays or anything like that? Or? I'm, not, I mean, video games was more like what I was kind of thinking of. So, right. I mean, if we're if we're good to go there, let's I've, go, got, I've got a lot on that. Let's so. go full bore into video games. Yeah. What is the first um, video game that you remember that was an adaptation from um, some other medium into another so, that you played? It, Spider-Man 2 for me on the PlayStation 2. I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever played that, but it's like a gem. Yeah. Like, it is just, it, it was like... At the time, it was, I mean, Spider-Man growing up was my favorite superhero. I mean, that and, I mean, if you count Power Rangers as superheroes, but, I mean, Spider-Man was, you could, I was probably Spider-Man for, like, four different Halloweens, right? Like, I was pretty into, that was just, you know, especially with the 90s, the Amazing Spider-Man television show. Right, That was just, it was just there in my life. And so, when uh, Spider-Man 2 came out on the PlayStation 2 after the movie, it was kind of like those, they don't really do them anymore where like you, because they were so unsuccessful, I think where you sort of like, you would have this tie in game where you would have a movie and then a few months later, or even like a few weeks later, the game would come out. Right. And just across the board, uh, like super Spider-Man two, notwithstanding, like 
they were pretty crap across the board. I think a lot of the the ones that were crap were only crap because they didn't invest. Well, right. It was just, it was kind of like, it was a part of um, capitalizing on the sales of things. Right. The rap on them was always that it was just, you know, it was like the sort of this corporate thing that they had to do and there wasn't to promote like a lot of love play, you know, put into these, not, not to like, bash on the devs or anything but it was some you know somebody at warner brothers or somebody at sony or whatever like outsourcing you know just paying throwing money at a game dev company and they're like make us a game that we can sell right to go right. along with this so but spider-man but, 2 itself was like incredible like this yeah. i mean it just was like it encapsulated that feeling so it captured that feeling so well of like being spider-man like just this kind of this open world like a great example of this there was a spider-man one game tie-in to the movie as well and one of like the the biggest gripes with that was that you couldn't stand on the ground so i don't mean like on like rooftops but you literally like you could only swing and like that nothing existed below like the 10th story of anything okay so like if you went below it that was just it was like it was kind of like water like you, you just, just you, you fell would, down and you're dead dead yeah, yeah yeah so like the thing that spider-man 2 did was that you could just walk around new york like right. and so for a lot of people like you would just like you you would, could just spend hours just like the web swinging was great yeah and yeah. it was like one of the first that really got that down super well but it was just yeah. like the fact that you just kind of felt like spider-man a little bit in the sense that you could like walk on the street and you could like and people would like, again, this is, so I guess it was probably like 2000, 2003 or 2004, mm-hmm. or right in that range. But like, you know, so the AI, as you'd pass, they would like say things about you or they would like, you know, say jokes at your expense. Obviously right. there was like, I think there was like 12, right? And they would just like recycle them. But yeah, uh, I mean, at the time though, that was like, that was very immersive. Like that was, and it just, it captured that feeling so well of, of uh, feeling like you were Spider-Man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then obviously that's uh, I mean, so when I always think of that, um, I was thinking of the the newer adaptation of Spider Man on the PlayStation PlayStation Four, 4 yeah. which was really, really good. So I saw a documentary kind of thing about the development of this game of, of the Spider Man game, yeah. the new one that was from Insomniac Games. And they referenced the previous the activision spider-man yeah. 2 game yeah. mm-hmm. as an inspiration for the web swing yes right and the person who developed the original the web swinging in 2 was one of the first people to try or you know come in and try the web swing and they wanted his approval because he was basically got that down super solid yeah for two. i mean you kind of like when you make a spider-man game it's like that has to be the first thing and then yeah. everything else is like gravy like yeah. if you get it down right like people will buy your game right. trust me and the thing with activision and i think they repurposed a lot of that not the web swinging part i used to have this joke with activision oh, and it all me, sprung from it, please okay but it wasn't really a joke it was just something i used to say because all activision the superhero games that activision was developing at the time superhero used lightly yeah right um all right you know there was there was the hulk and it oh yeah used, i played that one it, yeah. yeah and it kind of repurposed some of the navigating between buildings things yeah, it changed definitely. it right? right a little bit but it used adapted this, it could you say correct Ooh. yeah 
they adapted that kind of thing. It wasn't web swinging, but it was a similar sort of thing. Right. And then there was a game called Prototype. Yes, I love Prototype. Yeah. I love so, it's like such a hidden gem for me. Yeah. And like I love it when everybody brings up that game because I'm like, I loved that game so much. Yeah. Well, whenever anything from Activision would come out that utilized any of those, I, I called it Proto Incredible Spider Hulk type or something like that. I would mix all those words to together. But it was just because they used the same environments. And it was just, it was a joke to me because it was obviously repurposing some elements. Oh, definitely. But it was yeah. done, it was done fairly well. I mean, Prototype was a lot of fun to play. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a great game, but it was just like a good, I mean, it was kind of And like there was a, a lot of flight type stuff that yeah, you had to do. Yeah, it's kind of like a guilty sort of pleasure swing. though, right? You yeah. kind of just like, it's, it's fun because you can just go around as like, this superpowered individual just like smash things, like oh, yeah. which is kind of I mean same thing with the Hulk, right? Like right. you're just like this raged out monster, and you just like you can jump from building to building, and it's just kind of like a power fantasy, right? Did you play the um, any of the Punisher games? I don't think so. Oh, Jesus, they were so ridiculous. Did they, was one of them a tie-in from the movie from like the mid two thousands? You know was what? That one of them. I or? don't recall if it was a tie-in directly. Okay. What I do remember, though, is as Frank Castle, I think Frank his Castle, name is, yeah. mm -hmm. you would try and get information out of these people by basically like torturing Torturing, them, yeah. Right? Yeah. But I mean like threatening torture. Sure. But you could actually do the thing. So like you have someone- So you could like threaten them by like going over to like a pair of scissors or something. No. And, oh, no. no. It was okay. like a drill press. Oh, like you okay. Had some, yeah, but yeah, you, okay. You had some guy <laughs> in a fucking lathe or something. <laughs> You know, like you had, there was one where you, you got a guy and you held him in front of a rhinoceros cage and oh. this rhinoceros oh, was wow. going to charge and you would, you know, like th threaten him. So you would never actually do the act, but it was sort uh, of like, you had oh. the option. Oh, you really? You just keep okay. him there and then just kill him with with wow. the rhinoceros horn. Oh, like wow. the rhinoceros would impale him or you would use the drill press and then drill a hole in his head it was pretty oh crazy my god yeah and i think for me what happened was i realized that you could do that after it accidentally happened right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 let's put big air quotes around like, that well, one no seriously <laughs> no, okay. it was just like i you know it's like okay let the guy go because he's you know he's an idiot criminal and yeah but i mean that's not very punisher -like, that was, so that, was sort of like, the, that was sort of like me whenever i'd play red dead redemption and i would accidentally leave somebody on the train tracks you know oh yeah, just, yeah but, I don't know. let's say big quotes <laughs> air yeah. quotes around accidentally <laughs> one of the coolest bugs you know how you had the slow the the slow vision this is getting off yeah that like eagle vision or whatever right or was right it, was we, it that we or? slow things down yeah, right? yeah, yeah yeah there was the one where you could target things yes that one and then there yeah. was the uh -huh. slowing down thing yeah right, right? okay yep. well what you could do and I don't remember how to do it now, but in in a certain way, you could slow things down, switch weapons to something like a Molotov cocktail or dynamite. Okay. Target something, and then turn away. And when you threw the dynamite, it would boomerang <laughs> back at the target. <laughs> so I would spend hours just doing that because it was so much fun. I'd be throwing like the Molotov cocktail bottle and just <laughs> boomerang and hitting people. It was so awesome. And it was like one of those things where it was like, it was obviously a bug. It wasn't, yeah, it was right. something that was, but it was so much fun. Yeah. Nowadays, like devs would just patch it out day one and you would never probably, see it again. Yeah. Probably. 
well, so one thing as I was I was gonna say is the Spider Man two was sort of like my example of like something that was kind of like I said I don't feel like they really do them anymore, but that was like an example of something that was it was like a direct adaptation, right? Like right. that was literally right. based. I mean, like the story of the game was sort of like kind of tangential to the, what the movie was, mm-hmm. but the ultimate bad guy was still like Dr. Octopus. Like that was the guy right. you were fighting in the end. Right. Um, but then like, there's Same also guy in Indiana Jones. <laughs> in which one? Oh, sorry. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is that the bad guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark? He's the guy who goes into the tomb at the very first of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that actor is the actor. Yeah. Alfred Molina. Yeah. yeah. And then he ends up getting shot by arrows or something. Doesn't he? Or well, does... he gets impaled. Yeah. Impaled. He, gets, that's yeah. Right. he tries to run out. <laughs> yeah, that's you, right. you know, that's what you yeah. don't fuck over. Yeah, he was in that movie for all of 30 seconds, yeah. but he was a key character. I think anyway, yeah. it was, it was kind of like interesting established. I, sorry. I it's okay. Cut you off your but thing. then I was, it's okay. But I was like thinking, but then there's also like I think the more successful model of of uh, video game adaptations now, or at least um, going from like movies or TV shows to video games, is sort of like where you take established IP and you sort of kind of what you were talking about before, which is where you like adapt it, but it's not a carbon copy, uh-huh. right? So like my my example that I was thinking of was like the the Batman Arkham games right right which right. are like fantastic games and it's, oh yeah you'd have to call it an adaptation right because it takes like so a property that's existing and they they put it to a different medium right but like right. it's not there i mean there's influences probably from like comics that i've never read or like graphic novels that i've never read oh there are easter eggs in there, right, right? Easter eggs, they've right, got different, yeah, different like suits best way to describe things, it right, right. Yeah. but it's not like a one-for-one adaptation of anything else right? right so it gives them that freedom to sort of make their own path and like forge forge their own path and so like make their own way right, right. and in which creates like such a better experience in in uh, my opinion because like i said it it's they're not beholden to anything right, right. like there's sort of like tenants that you have to hold up you know, like that you Batman doesn't kill, right? Like you have you can't allow him to kill. Right. Certain stuff like that, right? I mean, like there's established rules because there's like a continuity in his universe. Right. But they have wiggle room. And like yeah. it's probably even like more whatever the next step past like wiggle room is, that's where they're at, right? Yeah. I think also with with Insomniac, they did a fabulous job of reinventing that whole storyline and having their own continuity. Right, exactly. And that was also something that was great. Yes. was the fact that it wasn't the same old story that you're used to. You saw familiar characters, right, right. but their their story was just a little different and a little little, little more compelling, I thought, as a story. Right. I mean, Insomniac is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, Especially seeing like how well they did with the new Ratchet Clank, too. Ratchet and Clank, yeah. Oh, my gosh, it looks yeah. so amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've, for anybody who was lucky enough to actually get their hands on a PS5, everyone yeah. says it's, like, actually incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But the other the other one that I was thinking of, too, which is, like, it's a lot in the same vein. Did you ever play the it, uh, Lord of the Rings, which is, like, basically my favorite? Right. Any of my coworkers who are listening to this are, like, rolling their eyes right now just because, like, I talk about it a lot because I just... It's, it's your like favorite universe. Yeah, story slash whatever you want to cut, just like property. But it's it's I just think in terms of like it's sort of like wide reaching. You know, it's like the most, it's the widest, most like fictionally consistent uh, universe that there is. Really, I mean, like right. you know, people would say like Game of Thrones or whatever. But I mean, Tolkien literally wrote everything from like a cosmology all the way to, I mean, he literally spent 
his entire life basically writing these stories. Well, that's that's the thing. George R. R. Martin's style wouldn't exist, right? If it wasn't well, right? For yeah, he Tolkien. was he was the Godfather, right? And, right. Tolkien but, was was the man who made yeah. the universe. I mean, it's it, the the story that I always tell people, which is, I mean, he was um, at the time. Before World War One, he was uh, a professor, and he was what they at the time they called themselves philologists, which was like they studied language. I mean, they would be called linguists now. He basically wrote the languages first. He he wrote Elvish first before anything else, and that and then basically he like wanted to he liked it so much that he wanted to create a universe around the language uh-huh. which is so like see it sounds so backwards now like that you would do it in that order right but that's like literally how he did well, it i mean that's the, but that's the thing it's like it doesn't I, i'd say when it comes to something like that you know developing things or adapting, adapting things hey. um creativity you can't do it wrong right right yeah, yeah, there, yeah there's there is no there is no correct way to do it sure um and that is just as valid as as coming up with sketches and and basing something off sketches Absolutely. or basing something off. The, so yeah, I mean, Absolutely. it's just whatever whatever way the creativity occurs or the design occurs. I mean, I think it's interesting, but it's not. It doesn't define what it is. Absolutely. Right? But to that point, did you ever play the Shadow of Mordor games? They were um, released a few years ago. There's been a sequel since, but no, I they were there. I, I did play briefly. They had an online, um, an online version oh, of, yeah. of one of the uh, some sort of Middle Earth. I'm, I'm yeah, sure the yeah, property's yeah, like, been passed hands oh, so yeah, many like times. Crazy, yeah, but they were they were very similar, like in the same vein of those like Batman Arkham games, where it's sort of like kind of like open world. I mean, it's like it, there's like a linear kind of story path, but it's you have freedom in that sandbox to like kind of do what you want. But again, it's a perfect example of something that's like, there's, there is a universe that it's like, they have to sort of like fall back onto, Uh but like they had their, they were able to create their own story, which just creates so much more interesting storylines rather than taking something else and just kind of, Re reusing or recycling. Tolkien, Tolkien did all the friggin' work. Oh right? yeah, I mean yeah, he, did, yeah. he did the he did the groundwork. He almost just developed the universe and, for the purpose of other people to oh, come absolutely. up with those stories yeah. because it's just yeah. so vast. Well, and I mean, and, and his story covers tens of tens of thousands of years, so obviously right, there's right. plenty of room in the points that you know because I mean, he. Basically, he was like, I'm going to write stories for the big events that happened and then everything else right. you can kind of figure out Fill yourself. Fill it out. Fill it in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that also gives you a little bit of creative license as far as, you know, figuring out what happened between the events. Absolutely. You know? Do you have any examples of bad uh, video game adaptations? Because I have one, but you, you know might what? have I, more than I do. I want to go back to a good Okay. One yeah, yeah, yeah. That you you mentioned. I didn't play a lot of this. Okay. But 2004 Chronicles of Riddick: Escape from uh, Butcher's Bay. Okay. Was basically got such good reviews. Really? Yeah. It was one of those ones where you see the company that um, that released it, which was Majesco, and it was like, oh, geez, this is going to be a shit bomb. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. It ended up being a really good game that really? everyone really loved. It was kind of stealth oriented. You were trying to escape from a prison. You were the character that uh, Vin Diesel yeah. plays. He was actually one of the owners of 
Tygon was the game studio that he created that are that had games that used his likeness. Okay, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if they're still around. Yeah, and then Starbreeze Starbreeze Entertainment was the other one. But this was like one of those sleepers where you think, oh, it's going to be a shitty game because yeah. it's an adaptation. Yeah, but it really was not. Really, and I did play a little bit, but it was like very stealthy, interesting kind of mechanics, pretty formulaic. But yeah. a lot of people really I mean, liked it. If you just had like told me, like, as I mean, just knowing what I know about generally those, especially back then when it was sort of a tie into a movie, we were like, would you put a bet on this being a good game or a bad game? I'd, Generally it was no. Yeah. I'd put yeah. I'd put on the bad every single time and wouldn't think twice. You thought uh, a bad example, boy, I, you know what? I, I like have, to think positive. I have one real good one though, okay. but I never played it. Okay. So this might be more up your alley. Cause okay. it's, a, it's, it's a little bit older, Okay. but it's like anytime I hear about like, bad video games right like just bad video games in general not even like adaptation video games like this one always comes up is it et it's et yeah Yeah. that's interesting because i've got a lot of interesting stuff on it and i played it listen if you're playing an atari 2600 back in those days i didn't find it too horrible yeah um it did have some problems yes it wasn't it was something that was was it put together kind of slapdash? Yes. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I read that it they did it in five weeks. Yes, <laughs> and that was to get it out in time for for Christmas. I sure. Think. Uh, in time for the holidays. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that is one of those ones where I remember playing it. I remember it was annoying as far as like how falling into the pits and whatnot. Yeah. But I don't remember it as horribly as all everyone says it was. Okay. It was. It was pretty much par for the course back then. Yeah. There was an Indiana Jones game that people, you know, it was kind of interesting, but it really wasn't. I mean, it was just, it was along the lines of that. Yeah. It was, it was an Atari 2600 game that was trying to do something that it wasn't quite hitting the mark. Right. It wasn't, the technology wasn't ready for a story-based game at that point. It wasn't ready to take something and go, okay, well, you've got to figure out where this thing is and this thing is and this thing is and then bring them all together and figure out what the story is and it's telling you a story. Right. They were trying to do that. They were not being successful at it. What it was good at, though, was simulating some arcade feelings. Atari was good at making arcade feelings. Sure, games. yeah. I think the, the only successful one that I think that was kind of a, a simulation thing well, to me, it was successful. Was that there was a space shuttle game that Activision made that was kind of fun, where it was a simulation of you would use the various controls on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred to control things like your landing gear. It used almost every single switch that it could possibly use. Okay. In addition to the one button in the right, right? and that was kind of an interesting adaptation of. Or simulator, I guess, yeah, would be yeah, more yeah. appropriate. Um, but yeah, E.T. Okay, so there's a documentary called Atari Game Over. I, I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore. It sounds familiar, though. Yeah. But it's basically a documentary of 1983 being the death of Atari as far as them starting to go downhill or just right. realizing that there's a game crash. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure the guy who founded Atari 
he sold the company, and then I'm pretty sure that's the guy who went and founded Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. Which is a real thing, by right. the way. <laughs> what, Chuck E. Cheese? No, that, that the guy who basically started Atari was like saw first saw or well at least he thought he foresaw this well there's some insider things going on video game crash and then he sold out and then well i mean started chuck e cheese right well the sales numbers have got to show you that this that this shit is gonna is the writing is on the wall too right um but anyway yeah there there is a book that i want to say elamo rado or elm i don't know elma it's a town in New Mexico where there's this landfill, and this landfill allegedly has dumped like a lot of unsold like old Atari games yes. or, and systems. But and... yeah, but, well, it was mostly it was mostly cartridges. Okay, it was yeah, mostly yeah. Atari cartridges, and the the legend was that this landfill was full. Of ET games that didn't sell. Oh yes, I've heard this yeah. story before. And, and yeah, that's, and, and part of this documentary, Atari Game Over, was them getting the rights to dig up the part. Yeah, where you know where they where this landfill was and dig under the concrete um, and see if they found anything. Right, like, right. But but what they did find was an assortment of unsold cartridges sure. it wasn't just you know thousands and thousands and of thousands ETs. of et <laughs> yeah. but et was in there they were estimating there were hundreds of thousands of games dumped oh my god but they they actually did find 1500 i think et think about how much space that takes i mean because storage medium at the time was pretty bulky <laughs> yeah that's true i mean it's like that yeah nowadays everything's digital so can't you you're not gonna have landfills full of spider-man 2018 <laughs> right everywhere. right but you're also gonna have not physical collection you're gonna yes. have a collection of licenses yes true <laughs> which which i think is kind of a funny concept yeah, i can't but, remember the last time i bought a physical game though yeah i mean that's the one when i get my playstation 5 i'm definitely going all digital yeah and like i said on the last show to my aunt's chagrin i am probably going to keep my PlayStation 4 to play my DVD or my Blu-rays. Yes, of course, yeah. Um but she is uh, she is so juiced on trying to uh, playing Hitman. <laughs> Seriously, like she really wants to play Hitman. It's a good game. Um yeah, but I don't think she should buy I mean, it's like I know one one time I'm going to call her and she's going, hey, Ben, I got a PlayStation 4. And it's like, ah. <laughs> and I think it's, I mean, I'm happy. I, I want Aunt, or I want um, Aunt Nora to be on the PlayStation ecosystem. That would be fun yeah. to play with my aunt. Yeah, what's her gamer tag going to be? Right, I don't know. Um, <laughs> boy, that's, a, that's an interesting question in itself. I mean, uh, Teacher Hoosier, Hoosier teacher, Hoosier teacher. <laughs> Zing. Zing. Uh, you are definitely the punny guy. The Hoosier teacher. Oh, wow. Um, Hoosier teacher taking you to school. <laughs> uh, Tari Landfill. Game over. It has to feel bad when you're in your Call of Duty lobby and you get killed by 
who's your teacher. Yeah. Ugh. I'm going to school you. That'll haunt you for a while. Hey. <laughs> um, okay. I still don't know how to pronounce this. Elmagordo. Uh, Elmagordo. Elmagordo. There you go. That, I don't know. I just reeled Elmagordo. Yes, you are correct. Oh, cool. Elmagordo. What do I win? Well, probably an excellent conversation. Yeah, okay, good. That's about good. it. Yeah, uh, that's what I was hoping. Yeah, a hearty handshake yeah. after the show. Oof, can't uh, wait. Check out that that uh, documentary. It's kind of interesting if you're into that worst game ever thing. I think probably over over embellished. So you, you think it it's one of those things where it's just like it's got a reputation and then the reputation has taken on a life of its own. I kind think of so. Thing. And, and, and I think the reason it has that reputation, it's kind of a – Sort of what happens now with with hype and and things like that for a game, it's when there there's a disappointment yes. associated to that. Oh yeah, and the dis- disappointment in this game was less about the game and more about the dying industry. Yeah, and, and I think that those those things kind of overlapped in such a way sure. it was the right sort of uh, formula for this kind of thing. So they saddled this game with being the worst game. Yeah. Although there were examples of a lot of other bad games out there um, that sold well, like the Pac-Man version that came out for the Atari 2600, you look at it and you go on, that's bullshit. That's horrible. <laughs> right. But it's the best they could do with the Atari 2600 right. and a whole bunch of people bought it. And so it's like, you know, you could make a case for that being the worst game ever because it wasn't Pac-Man. Yeah, I mean, pretty soon it's going to be moot anyways because no one's going to have played it. And I mean, in, you know, 30 years down the line, it's right. not like, right. I, I mean, you know. I mean, yeah, and that's that, and I, even we're even at that point. I mean, yeah. I, I actually well, did. Well, I've never, I've never played it. So that's yeah, why I was, yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I prefaced it by yeah. saying it's like, well, this is where I, this is what I kept reading. But right. it's, it's, it's it, it goes to that point of like. It, it, once it's taken on a life of its own, I mean, it's just going to be one of those things that's passed down forever because it's just going to be like, well, my father said this is the worst game ever, and then you know he right. tells that to his kid, and so on and so forth. Yeah, there, there's also a a book that uh, a friend of mine, this guy Vincent, I used to work with at the same place you work at. <laughs> coincidentally, <laughs> wow, coincidentally, but anyway, he recommended this book by D.B. Weiss called Lucky Wander Boy. And it was the way D.B. Weiss describes the book is it's a book about video game addiction. I don't think that's true. I think it's a book about obsessing over things. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, he is obsessive. He's, he's writing a book about the history of video games. And there's this one video game, Lucky Wander Boy, that he is like fascinated with it it's it's almost like this mythical creature that doesn't exist it's like the unicorn or whatever okay, that yeah, yeah. um that was developed that monster. no one ever knew, you know like no one knows it's very rare it's yeah. things like that and yeah. he's obsessed in figuring out how it was designed and how it was made and all this stuff and there's a scene that takes place on a parking lot that's in that town um Alam, what, Alamag- Alamagordo is that Alamagordo. 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 Dude. 
You you say that so much better than you, I do. You're going to have, have a bunch problem? of angry letters coming at you from the Alamogordites or whatever they call themselves. <laughs> Alamogordians. <laughs> the Alamogordians. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they grow Alamogordians. <laughs> So I do, I do have some knowledge, some working knowledge of the ET on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, regarded as the worst game ever. Uh, do you have anything else to bring out on uh, on video game stuff that you uh, adaptations of one thing to the other? No, I was, I was, I guess the only there was like one question that I thought of, but I feel like it's oh, a leading. Go ahead. Well, it's kind of like a leading question at this point because I feel like we've actually kind of both said in different forms we've kind of said our what our stance is on this, but it's like, do you think that adaptations? work better if it's if you're trying to do a carbon copy or if you're trying to do it that other version we said which is sort of like where you take property and you use it as inspiration and then you do your own thing like do you think there's like a fine line to walk there and do you think one way is better than the other you know what okay this is an excellent question so i'm just gonna put this down for a second i think it's like doing a cover song sure right you can do a cover song that mimics exactly what the sound and song sounded like in the first place. Right. Like when Weezer does covers of things in general, they stick to the, you know, basically something that sounds almost nearly identical yeah, to the original. Like same style, you right. might say. Yeah. And, and that is impressive yeah. to me, but I don't like it because it's, it's not, it's not the same thing. It's like, okay, yeah, that shows your technical ability, right. but show me, show me what inspires you. Show me like your take on this thing. Right. Since I appreciate new and fresh takes on things, I think I like more creative approach and doing your own thing when it comes to adapting. And and that's the thing too. In 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 the whole adapting a thing to another thing, there's going to be a difference, right? Right. It's not only just the difference of being visual as opposed to being written or whatever as being a, a thing, a movie, as opposed to being a video game, there there are differences in the way you write the story. It shouldn't be a carbon copy. Right. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, I, going back to, I, I just think like Lord of the Rings, the movies are a really good example of this, right? Because it's like, they, there's a lot. I mean, if you read the books and then watch the movies, you realize like how many changes there are. Like right. a lot of them are like stylistic choices, but then a lot of them are like, like major plot points that you'd, sort of think i mean i th- you know you're like oh well why would they change this but then you sort of like see the entire vision and you're like well it still is like you know it's doing right by the source of material in the sense that it's like hitting all of those like major themes right but they right. you know and they have like it the thing i go back to is like you can just tell how much like love was and how much passion they had right like making these movies right and and it just it sort of like paints a picture of like we're going to make changes, but we're going to do it in the right way. Right. And, and the thing, the I bonus, think that's what, that's what makes a successful adaptation. Right. And the bonus that you get from that or doing that style is then you can use it to sort of like fit any time, uh, like, you know, any sort of like era that you're in because mm-hmm. the, you know, the world that somebody like Tolkien lived in was very different than the world that we live in now. I mean, right. you know, he, he fought in world war one and world war like that's, that world is so vastly different than you know anything that, that you know that we have and right like, and our our ideas our ideas of fantasy absolutely and things that are possible and impossible are going to be different right, right? like my, they're going to be shaped by what we experience absolutely my favorite example of this in the movies is 
um, there's the there's the part in the final Lord of the Rings movie where all of the writers of Rohan have showed up and they're about to make their big charge. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it happens the same way, except for as they're charging, they they start like just absolutely decimating all of these orcs. And in the book, they start singing. Okay. Because like to Tolkien, that was like, oh, we're victorious on the battlefield. Like we're going to start singing. Right, right. But like think about how silly that would seem in a movie nowadays. You hear like this epic battle scene and then they're like singing because like, oh, we're winning. And, And so it's something like that where it's like if you do the carbon copy, you can't take that from a previous era and put it into something now because nobody nobody's going to believe it right well there's well there's that and there's also that things just don't that don't translate yes exactly right i mean you want to capture the spirit of what that singing represents yes exactly And, and i think if you do it in that way and you stay true to what that is right then that is a successful way to, to, to do it. Right. And um, a good example would be like the score of the movie. Can exactly. Kind of take that could, place of that it, could right? be the singing. Yes, right? exactly. That could represent but what the singing that's is. That's something that like we as modern moviegoers understand better than like, than if you showed the actual guys like on horseback right. killing orcs and singing. Right. Right. <laughs> Although I'm sure there are people out there who are pissed off. Well, that's exactly, that's my point. And so, you know, that's like, that's why, you can't appease a lot of these people right. when it's like, oh, um, my my mom is a very ardent book reader, and uh-huh. and my mom and sister were both mad when they both were reading Game of Thrones, right. and then the shows came out, and they were very mad that uh, Daenerys didn't have like purple eyes, right? She's supposed to have like these uh, lilac or, or purple eyes because all the Targaryens had purple eyes, and it's like, oh, that's ridiculous that they, you know, like why not? But it's like. But also you're like, but does it really change right. that much? How does, when it, you're, does it does it impact the story that well yeah. or that much? And, and so that's sort of like where when you're translating, when you're adapting from one medium to another, like I tend to think that you have to like hit major like touchstones. Like you have to have the foundation right. But then once you've got that, you can go anywhere. And like right. that should be the sort of like de facto best way to approach things but then of course there's examples too i mean game of thrones i just mentioned where it's like the first few seasons of game of thrones were amazing because they had a source material to go off of right but generally people's uh opinions of game of thrones it's a pretty kind of steep line straight down when you talk about the later seasons and that's because they no longer had that source material to go off of right Right. Well, you can say that too, but they also may have not had a clear direction from George R. R. Sure, Martin. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. It's like maybe he provided a lot. Maybe all that he provided was the source material, and didn't provide anything beyond the source material that would give them direction. Right. So they had to figure it out on their own. Yeah. So I'm gonna blame George R. R. Martin for that. <laughs> well, he still hasn't written a book in 15 years, so yep. I think you're good on that. Well, I mean, I don't know. I. <laughs> It's it's not really a blame thing. It's it, but it's like there are other reasons why that could be bad or that yeah. could be that way. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And then also when people don't include fine details like that, it doesn't. They think that those things don't matter. But you know, it's going to matter to someone. Yeah. Right. Absolutely, yeah. And it's going to be it's going to represent something to someone. So you like you said, you want to hit the right, the right. Beats. You got to pick and choose your battles. Yeah. You know, you, you got to die on the right hills. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There are so many um, video game adaptations coming to Netflix. You know, like Castlevania, Minecraft. Are they, do- 
Witcher. Castlevania. Yeah, Witcher's yeah. good. They, no, they did, a, I think they did a cartoon version of, oh, of wow. Castlevania that oh, was wow. an animated version. Dragon Quest, that's one of those like choose your own adventure book kind yeah. of things, I think. They've got some Resident Evil stuff going on. There is a coming Assassin's Creed series. There's um, Angry Birds. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, all of these games, Cuphead, there's a Cuphead cartoon coming out. Are you familiar with Cuphead? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's, that's a, like one of those sort of bullet hell shooter kind of deals. Right. I of mean, course. it's definitely the way of, I mean, if you just want to say, you could say Hollywood or entertainment oh, right. in general, but it's just like. Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, Pokemon, right. I mean, you're just. De- de- Detective Pikachu. Right. right. I mean, it's because it's the way people, you know, vote with their wallets, essentially, which is like people say that they want new stuff, but then what do we continually pay for? We pay for right. sequels and we pay for adaptations because it's even though we may not say it like everybody likes to go back to stuff that they know because it makes them comfortable right so it's i mean as as stifling as it can be to like original creativity it's also like i don't i would pay like so much money for a, a fallout new vegas remaster right now because it's my favorite game of all time i would pay so much money for that game but you know i'm also a guy who's like man i wish I, we could get new games but then i'm also the guy who right. would turn around and spend yeah. hundreds of dollars on a new vegas remaster yeah i i'm i'm not that guy <laughs> so i am um, <laughs> and i think we we talked about it on our previous show with cheyenne where she is playing the remaster of uh, of all the mass effect games yes yeah, and really enjoying it yeah and for me it's like i can go back to that i want to play something new I'm playing Psychonauts 2 right now. I could go play through Psychonauts 1 again. I'm not going to yeah. because it's it's like I want something new in the story. I want, you know, I, I the nostalgia I feel for those games, I still feel it. Right. Right. And but for better or for worse, accurate or inaccurate, doesn't matter. I yeah. still hold them in a place that kind of colors my view on video games, which I like right now. So I don't want to discover that. You know, I don't want to go back to him and go, oh, this is crap. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and <laughs> I even, don't like this as much as I thought I right, did. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, good adaptations. One thing, one really quick thing. Yeah. Arcade games. You don't, you're not familiar with the arcade game ad- adaptations not as far very as well, no. movies no. that were adapted into arcade games. But since movies I'm an old school adapted guy. adapted into arcade games. Correct. I mean, I can think, I mean, there was. Whenever I went to an arcade, they always had that star. There was a Star Wars game, the vector graphics that, one. Yeah, that, that one. is my favorite. I mean, one. that one I always had to play anytime I went to an arcade. It was and then that was about it. It you know? was amazing yeah. what they did with just vector graphics yeah. and and make, making it feel like. I mean, like the Death Star run, like getting to do the Death Star run and X Wing was like just so cool. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, so cool. I mean, so they 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 made so much. And Atari was one of those. Say what you will about their blunder with with uh, you know ET and uh, acquiring other game you know properties yeah. or movie properties. Yeah, like one of the ones I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Cloak and Dagger, mm-hmm. but it's a movie starring Dabney Coleman and this I don't know what the little actor was. I think it was the I want to say it was the same kid that was in ET, but I'm not sure. Okay, it was really a movie and a arcade game that kind of went sort of at the same time, but it was like one of those ones where the movie was based on the arcade game. Right, yeah. 
Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is also one of the ones I really love. Star Trek, the arcade game, which is also a vector graphics top-down shooting simulator. I didn't know there was uh, one. Yeah, it's not. Well, it's part 3D and it's okay. part top-down okay. shooter, where it shows you the map of where your ships are in relation to your star bases and other ships. But then there's a part in the second half, in the lower half of the screen, that shows you basically rotate around as you're moving, you know, your starship. Right. In, in ways that it wouldn't move in space. But still, right, it, would, yeah. it would go around and it would, you, know, you would pilot it around and shoot you know, Klingon battleships and things like that that would approach you, you know, in that sort of 3D way, yeah, yeah. which is really friggin' cool for back in the day. So as far as the end of adaptation, which will never be the end of adaptation, but as far as our show is concerned, we are at the end of adaptation. For for us here at the for we here for I don't know who Eric and I we're both going to say <laughs> goodbye to you today. My name was Ben. My name is Eric. Oh yeah, my name is still Ben, <laughs> and his name is still Eric, and we've been your hosts. And thank you very much for joining us. Bye. <laughs>